Welcome to Damn Good Brands Origin Stories, a new series dedicated to uncovering the entrepreneurial journeys behind some of today's most successful brands straight from the founders themselves. Today we're talking to Joel Clark. Joel is the co-founder and CEO of Kodiak Cakes. In addition to being a client, Kodiak Cakes is an all-natural food company based in Utah that specializes in pancake mix. Their product line also includes other healthy snacks like bars, oatmeal, and more. The story behind Kodiak Cakes is very inspiring since the company struggled for over a decade before becoming a huge success. Kodiak Cakes started when Joel sold his family pancake recipe mix door-to-door in a little red wagon as a child. He basically kept on doing that until the brand became a smashing success. There may be a little more to the story than that, so I'll let Joel tell it. But anyway, the story behind the brand is a long road of struggles that end in glory, as the brand is the fastest-growing pancake mix in the U.S., growing 80% year-over-year and approaching $100 million in revenue. The critical moment for Kodiak Cakes was with the introduction of Power Cakes, a super healthy, super hearty pancake mix that included protein powder. Power Cakes really enabled the brand to break through in the marketplace, and the story behind its inception is a real lesson in pivoting and product innovation, and even to a degree, a blue ocean strategy. You may have seen Power Cakes on Shark Tank, where despite receiving offers, Joel walked away empty-handed, but the resulting coverage from the appearance gave Kodiak Kodiak Cakes, a significant boost in sales. And today, the brand is on the fast track to becoming a household name. We talked to Joel about the grueling path to success, major leadership lessons, and tips to boost your sense of resilience in the face of the inevitable adversity that comes with entrepreneurship. All of this and so much more on today's episode of Damn Good Brands. Now, without further ado, here is Joel Clark, CEO and co-founder of Kodiak Cakes. So I'm very, very familiar with the uh, with the origin story of Kodiak Cakes. You, when you were really young, your mother came up with the initial recipe, and you were selling it door to door in a radio flyer wagon, from what I understand. That's the right. Pancake mix. <laughs> <laughs> so my question, as far as that's concerned, is a lot of entrepreneurs have a background with doing door to door sales, like John Paul DeJoria, for instance. He used to sell encyclopedias door to door. He said that that was the greatest sales training that he ever got, and it really enabled him as an entrepreneur. So considering that being such a formidable experience for you, what did door-to-door sales do for you in terms of enabling you as an entrepreneur? That's a good question. In fact, one that no one has ever asked me. So that's cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I actually agree with you. I think it did a ton. What it does is it really forces you to relate with people that you don't know because you're, you're forced to, but then you're forced to figure out how to, you know, how to relate with someone in the most almost, I don't know. It, it's pretty invasive, right? Like knocking on somebody's door. Right. And so you have to like come up with something that's pretty short and um, quick and to the point to try to get somebody to listen. But yeah, I was pretty young when that happened. So I think that was easier because I was only eight years old when I was out peddling these little homemade pancake mixes to the neighbors. <laughs> but what's funny is like I, and, and we didn't, re- we did that for a short period of time that this one summer. And then I, we didn't keep going with the pancake mix. But what's interesting is Throughout the rest of my growing up years, I did a lot of door-to-door types of you know entrepreneurial ventures. Like I, mm. I my friend and I would go and mow lawns, and we'd go door-to-door trying to drum up some some lawns to mow. Um, we'd go shovel snow off people's driveways in the wintertime. We just knock doors and ask if we, we could shovel shovel snow. And then when I was in college, I washed windows for for people for for in ho- for homes. Mm. And so I'd not walk around neighborhoods and knock doors and. 
and ask if I could uh, wash the window. So, I mean, I, I never really thought about it like that, but honestly, like it's great sales training because you just have to, you just have to come right out of your shell and go for it. And, and I really do think that that's great um, sales and entrepreneur training. Yeah. No, there's something about it. I did it briefly once. I used to sell websites to restaurants and I would just approach restaurants and small businesses and just say, hey, you guys need a website? And yeah. <laughs> but it's it hard. does. Uh, it's definitely hard. It teaches you a lot about nerve, though. I mean, it, it, it just forces you to definitely be way more outgoing and, uh, and have your sales pitch yeah. just, you know, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. Yeah, definitely. So fast forward all of these years later, you guys are doing incredibly well, it seems. And you have a whole new series of products and all of that. And from reading about the 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 initial struggle, I mean, the, the company is over 20 years old, from what I understand. And That's right. those, the first 10 years was really, really difficult. And then it seemed like the, the power cakes was a major product breakthrough. And I, th- right. I for me, one of the lessons in that is there seemed to be a sense of instead of trying to find a product market fit, it seems like you forged a new category yourself and somehow just made this work. So I'm wondering what was that process like that enabled you to arrive at, at the power cake product mix? That realizing, okay, we need to go high protein and do something healthy. How did that product come about? Yeah. So what happened was we, we'd been selling our original flapjack mix, by the way, was it wasn't protein infused. It was a hundred percent whole grain. So we've all, the brand has always been about whole grains, just add water, you know, taste, nutrition, and convenience. That's what we've always been about. But um, what we found was earlier on, we just we just found it pretty hard to break through in the pancake category. It's it, you know it was kind of a tired a tired category for a lot of years, and there wasn't a lot of innovation in that category. And we also found that buyers, grocery store buyers, just weren't really that interested in spending a lot of time on the category. Right. So it was taking us a lot a long time to break through, and we we really just kept thinking, man, we've got to come up with some innovation. We we you know we need we need something to really pop and. And what was ha- what I was doing was back in about 2011, 2010, 11, I started one day. I remember I was in the kitchen and I remember um, I, we had some protein powder and, and I looked at it. I'm like, man, I wonder if this would actually work in pancake decks. So I grabbed some Kodiak cakes and, and we made pancakes probably three times a week. And we still do. I mean, we, we eat so many pancakes. It's not even funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I grabbed this protein powder. And I'm like, man, I wonder if this would work. And, and I remember I put it in, put this vanilla protein powder into Kodiak cakes, made pancakes, and it was awesome. Whoa. And I was like, man, this is really good. You know, this could be a really unique, cool way to, to get more protein. And so um, I started doing that. And then I was talking to Cameron. He's my he's my one of my co-founders. Mm-hmm. And he's he's our president. And two of us have been working together for like 10 years. He's awesome. So he and I were talking about it one day and I said, Hey, what do you think of protein in the pancake? And he's like, Oh, interesting. So we started to kind of watch the trends and everything and, and protein trends were really going crazy, but there, there hadn't been much protein into mainstream products yet at the time, right? Yeah, mainstream food products outside of just protein powders for drinks. Right. So, so anyway, we thought of a name, we thought of power cakes in 2012, we went ahead and trademarked it. But we then we didn't launch it right away because we were just, we just weren't sure if it could be a mainstream product or if it was, this was kind of a, a GNC niche you know meathead brand meathead type product right <laughs> and, you know it's like and, and I and I you know I like to work out but I'm not like a big gym rat but you know I I was looking for more protein so we kept kind of thinking man maybe this could go mainstream so 
what happened was a lot of things kind of came together at once that really helped us. So in early 2004, well, this is late 2013, Costco, um, our buyer up in the Northwest, um, his name is Marty. And actually, Marty works for us now. It's really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Marty approached us. He's like, hey, you know, we were selling our regular pancake mix at Costco a little bit. And Marty said, I'm looking for a protein pancake mix. What do you guys think? And we're like, well, we have one. Whoa. We've already already formulated this thing. We just hadn't known when to launch it. So we're like, okay, cool. So we launched it at Costco in January 2014, and it immediately just took off. I mean, it was it really, really worked and resonated. So then, you know, then that year was just a cool, it was just a, a great year. We launched that. We went on Shark Tank later in that year, and that just became some great exposure for us that we really needed. And then um, we launched Power Cakes at Target nationwide in June of that year, and it it literally it just took off. I mean, it became number one, and it became the number one pancake in the category by twenty percent margin. I mean, it was really doing well. So now we had this experience of wow, we got a great innovation out there, and it was growing exponentially. That's amazing. Yeah. And watching that Shark Tank interview, it must make you cringe to consider that they were trying to get you to give up 50% of your company, which is now on, on, on a serious fast track, you know, to get on yeah. 200 million. I mean, I'm sure it makes Mr. Wonderful cringe a lot more than it makes you cringe, but what I, <laughs> what I thought they should do is on Shark Tank, they always have a kind of where are they now where they show that the people yeah. who got deals, they should do one for people who didn't get deals. Cause I mean, you, you guys are one of the most successful examples of somebody who just walked away without a deal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really like, that's a goal. It's like, we, we want to be, you know, one of the most successful deals that the sharks never did. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, it's like, but, but it really does. I mean, it really, I am so glad that we walked away from that and that we didn't take that deal because, you know, it really luck. We, we really lucked out to still get the publicity, but we didn't have to take that low ball offer. So that, I mean, that really was awesome. So it, it turned out great. And, you know, the publicity that, that we, and the exposure that we got out of that really was this great Kickstarter for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's amazing what what they um, what what a deal on or if what exposure on Shark Tank can do for yeah. brands. Yeah, it's it is totally. pretty amazing. So you have an MBA, correct? I do. Yeah. How much did the how much would you attribute the success of your brand to your MBA versus just the sheer grit and determination that you showed throughout the decades of uh, of building Kodiak Cakes? How much was the schooling, and how much was the school of hard knocks? That's a great question. I I really think, you know what I think, you know, here's what I think. I think most of it is really due to just the school of hard knocks. I mean, just kind of going through the process, grinding it out, persevering for a long time. I mean, it took us 16 years to hit a million bucks in revenue. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad, right? I mean, in so many ways it's bad. It's just like, come on, you guys got to get this together. But you know, it just, it just did, but it also kind of taught us about persevering and, you know, grinding it out. And it's not easy it's going to be hard to, to do anything good just literally takes effort and, and a, you know, and a slog of just going for it over and over. So I think a lot of it was that, but I think what I, I, I do think what the NBA did for me personally is it just gave me confidence. And that's something that I kind of needed. I, I, you know, when I was in high school, I was, I was an absolutely horrible student. I mean, I, I really was bad. I mean, I, my junior year, I, I, uh, the coach came to me once. He's like, Hey, um, you got really bad grades. You can't play football this fall. I'm like, what? I thought my grades were good enough. He's like, no, it was based on the fourth term of your sophomore year. I'm like, oh my God. Oh man. So, you know, it was really bad. So I went around and I kind of got my, 
my teachers to, I, I went around and I, I did, I asked some teachers and a couple of them were willing to allow me to do some makeup work to, um, you know, to get back on the team, get my grades changed. So I, I was able to get back on, but that was kind of a wake up call for me. But, you know, I think what I needed when I went to college was I'm like, I needed confidence. I needed to feel like, you know what, you are smart. You can do this. And so for me, I think the MBA was that for me. It gave me a ton of confidence, helped me realize, man, you can do this if you work hard and accomplish some great goals. And, and it helped me learn how to learn. And I think that's something that you really need you know, in, in any business is, is you know, in, in any real pro- profession to become really good at it. You got to be a lifelong learner. And I think that's what the MBA taught me. Well, that's interesting. So it, it gave you a sense of learning how to learn, which for any yeah. entrepreneur, that is, uh, you have to learn something new practically every day from what it seems like. So embracing your own self personal education sounds like that's the name of the game when it comes to running your own business. Yeah. So it was a multi, agree. multi decade um, effort to, to get Kodiak cakes off the ground. Yeah. I'm sure there were many dark nights of the soul where you were considering giving up. Was there anything that pushed you through for those entrepreneurs out there listening who were struggling with their business? Was there any dark night of the soul for you where you were considering giving up? And was there something in particular that pulled you through? There were many of those dark nights, um, many, many near death experiences, as we say, you know, and <laughs> so, you know, a lot of those. And I, I would go home at night for many because it was so many years. Right. And, it, and, and taking 16 years to hit a million dollars is it's pretty demoralizing to, to keep going and going. And, and a lot of those years, honestly, I mean, seven of those years, it was a side hustle for me. So right. it was, you know, it, it, it was there were a lot of things going on during those years. But, you know, what I would do is, I mean, I remember coming home a lot and, and, you know, talking to my wife and saying, Hey, you know, I got to quit doing this. I, I, I'm being a dead horse. You know, like at some point I got to just call uncle and go do something else. If it's not going to work. But what I would do is I would kind of set myself these little goals and these little six month kind of windows of time. And I'd say, look, I'm going to go for six months. And if I can get these things to happen, then I'll keep going for another six months. And, and if, if they don't, then at some point I need to just call it a day and move mm-hmm. on. So, um, that's what I would do. And that really helped me to kind of, to work through it. I'd, I'd accomplish, you know, usually they were sales goals, like more distribution and more retailers picking up the product, but little by little it, it would happen. And so I'd be like, well, I got to keep going. The other thing that, that really helped was customer letters. So, you know, emails and cus- consumers, even in the early days, were still mailing letters in, right? So, People would mail letters in and say, look, I love your pancake mix. This is, this is the best pancake mix I've ever had. Um, you know, thanks for making this great product. So that was incredibly motivating. Wow. I felt like, man, I got to keep going with this thing. If I can just do it long enough, you know, it, it, it'll happen. So I think those are those things really helped me kind of work through it and, and keep going. I feel like it's huge, the notion of having milestone thinking, whether that's in terms of quarterly or three months or six months, because it seems like a lot of would-be entrepreneurs kind of overwhelm themselves by thinking that they need to do so much so fast. And instead of setting just very objective goals during specific time periods, segmenting out where they want to be in certain times. I mean, it's goal setting. It's the most basic part of the process, but I feel like a lot of people don't do it and it causes this, you know, debilitating overwhelm when it comes to, you know, getting your company off of the ground. Yeah, Yeah, I think you're right because you also need kind of, uh, you need some check-in points, right? So, because, because I think what happens is a lot of entrepreneurs, they start, they start up and and like I did, when I took this thing, I took Kodiak cakes over from my older brother, John, he's the Mm -hmm. one who actually created the brand. 
1995. And I took it over in 1997. And I, and I was a college student. And I, and I remember thinking, and I was on top of the world, right? I'm this young college student. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I remember thinking, I can do this. I'm going to get this thing going. And, but the reality hit in pretty quickly that, hey, Joel, this is going to be a while. You know, this is going to be, this is hard. Yeah. And this is, this is going to take some time to get this thing really going. And of course it did take time. But, if, but otherwise you can get overwhelmed by that. But if you do have those little check-in points and these, these goals that you set, you actually can start to see the progress and you need to be able to see the progress so you don't get discouraged. Yeah, I think it's a matter of keeping score because you could be winning, but if you're not keeping track, it's, it's, it can be very debilitating. Yeah. yeah. So you were talking a minute ago about building your brand, and I think that's one of the most interesting things about Kodiak Cakes is the just indelible brand identity that you guys have. And I've heard in previous interviews you speaking about that's one of the things that has made seemingly made you immune to copycat products and competitors is the strength of your brand. So I'm curious, how did yeah. you approach the creation of your brand? From everything I've read, it doesn't sound like there was any focus group approach. It just seemed like it was very, very just indicative of who you are and the culture that you grew up in um, and the, the, the kind of rustic culture of Utah. Could you talk about how you were able to build that brand and instill all of those elements into Kodiak Cakes and why that has, has made your, your brand as successful as it is? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my older brother, John, so the, the story was, and I mentioned, I alluded to this just a little bit before. So in 1995, um, my brother, John was 28 and he wanted to start a business and he was talking to my mom and, and he said, Hey, I want to do, I want to start a business. Do you have any ideas? And she said, why don't you do something with the pancakes? You know, take the pancake recipe and go make a brand. So, so he's the one who actually created your first product and the brand mm. and put it together from the very beginning. So a lot of what went into that. And then I took it over, you know, in 1997 and, and kept it alive and built and, you know, kept going with the business and kept managing it and building it. But John, some of the things that went into the creation of the brand, I mean, really he did create a great brand and it, you're right. He, he, a lot of it was his personality, the way we grew up, we grew up, you know, hearing stories from our dad who lived in Alaska when he was, you know, you know, in 20 years old on survey crew out in the, out in the mountains and, you know, with around the Kodiak bears and all this type of stuff. And we grew up fishing and hiking and, you know, it's like, so John wanted to create a brand that had a, a real strong kind of outdoor rustic, wholesome identity that would stand for, you know, whole, you know, frontier type whole ingredients. So whole grains and honey and stuff like that. And so, um, so that, that's what he created from the beginning. And then as he, he and my older brother were talking one day about what do you, what do you want to name it? My oldest, our oldest brother, Tim said, Hey John, why don't you call it bear cakes? And John's like, yeah, it's a really great idea. John always wanted to fish on Kodiak Island, Alaska. So he's like, you know, <laughs> he says that's a big part of how that, you know, that played into the name as well. So he liked the idea of bear cakes and called it Kodiak cakes. And so I think something that we've done really well over time is that we have really stuck to our brand identity. And, mm. and we, we have not gone outside of whole grains, for example, we, and, and we've stuck to our positioning. And I think a lot of businesses actually underestimate the power of positioning and, and they don't stick to it often. And they try to be all things to a lot of people and then the brands get diluted. Mm. And so I think that's really been one reason why we, you know, that's a real success factor for Kodiak Cakes is we have a real strong brand identity and we have really stuck to it over the years. Yeah. 
And I've heard you refer to your customer base or what some people would call a customer base as your tribe. And I feel like just the, the, the use of that word is so indicative of how you consider and approach your customer base, for lack of a better word. But could you talk about um, you know, your choice behind the use of the word tribe? Because I feel like it speaks volumes about your brand. Yeah, I mean, when you feel, yeah, because when you feel like you're in, a, a tribe is like a, a sense of identity. It's a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I really, there are some, you know, we wanted to create that with, that where the brand means something to people and they feel like they're part of something when they are, you know, immersed in the, into this brand and, and when they buy the products, they, it's, you know, it's aspirational. You feel like you're having an experience and a brand experience that, that means something, you know, that. That means kind of outdoors. It has a, a Park City, Utah, ski town element. Right. And, you know, and you feel that, like a bit of a frontier element. And and you feel that. And, and, into, and if you, I think to, to really do that and to pull it off well, though, you have to have a culture that actually reflects that. You know, you have to have a culture that 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 is meaningful, that has depth. And so, you know, we have we have a very strong culture at Kodiak Cakes and and you know, people who really appreciate and care about food and wanting to eat better and, and live more active. Those are two real elements of, of our culture. So I think it, it really shines through. And then I think as we, as you know, as we message the brand and keep managing and building the brand, it's, it's authentic to consumers. So they, they feel this sense of belonging and identity when they feel like hey, I am part of this Kodiak, this tribe, you know, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that a lot that a lot of the proceeds from profits go to actual conservation efforts. I mean, all those things combined really make people feel like they're a part of something, which I think is a huge element of you know brand loyalty is feeling like you're a part of something. And it's not a lot of brands are able to create that. And so it just seems like it's something magical that you guys were able to conceive of. But again, it seemed like it was very authentic, which must be the key ingredient. You know, it's the kind of authenticity that you can't get from a focus group or that you I don't think you can get from you know. All the market research in the world it just is is who you guys are and i think that's that's enormous i think that breeds authenticity i think if you just go but you know it's like if you create a focused group brand it's just you know it's like (laughs) what do you you really get out of that because i think if you know the more you can you 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 can create i mean the more if you if you just create a brand solely based off research and, and focus groups then you might create the best vanilla brand out there, right? <laughs> you know, right? Because you're going to get so much input that, that you know you're going to be chipping away this, chipping away that. Where you know you can't be all things to all people on a really great brand. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, you need to lane. resonate really well with a core group. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So there was a story about you guys setting up a booth at a uh, at, at one of the expos, at one of the uh, trade shows, and. Uh, it's it involved a fog machine, and I feel like this story is very, very revealing. Could you tell that story and also talk about what it taught you and what it instilled into you guys? Because I just loved the story, and I feel like it's there's a lot of lessons in here about showmanship and entrepreneurship and facing hardships. I mean, there's a lot of lot of good stuff in that story. Man, you dug deep, Nick. That's funny <laughs> that you found, you found that story. That is really funny. So yeah, uh, Cameron and I were at a trade show and I think we were at Expo West, possibly one of the, it's like the biggest natural food show. And we had a a small booth that we had created. We built it like, you know, we had the Home Depot and put all this wood together and made it look like an old cabin. And it was actually, it was cool. Um, So we had this um, smokestack in there and an old pot belly stove. And so what we did, we wanted to create this, we wanted smoke, right? 
And um, so we, it was, it was cool. We put this fog machine up to it and we were blowing smoke. And early on, we diluted the smoke because we were trying to thin it out. So it wasn't so heavy. And later on, we're like, no way, man, this is, it's not enough. Let's just blow it out. Let's just smoke this thing out, you know? And people loved it. They're like, what's going on? What are you guys cooking? You know, we're like, well, you know, pancakes with some smoke. (laughs) Um, So the the guy behind us was just not happy. You know, he was not digging our smoke. Mm. So the next day we come, we came to the show and we turned on the fog machine and our whole entire booth just filled up with smoke. So we, we looked and we're like, what the heck's going on? So we, we, we pulled the fog machine out away from the pipe that it was blowing smoke up into. And someone had jammed a whole bunch of paper towels inside of that pipe to, to kind of sabotage us. And we knew it was this guy because he'd been complaining before, you know. And so we're like, you got to be kidding me, man. And so we pulled the paper towels out and we just blasted the smoke the whole rest of the day, right? Didn't even, didn't even go talk to him. So it was like, it was just like, you know, it was a great way to kind of bring people into the booth. It was an authentic, you know, cool cabin like thing to do and have the smoke. And we were like, sorry, man, this is what we're doing. And we don't really care that much. (laughs) (laughs) And And it worked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel like at those trade shows, very few people put in the effort to be to differentiate themselves and do a have a cool booth or have something even remotely. I've been in enough of them. and I'm always blown away at how similar everybody's booth is. And it seems like there's no care put into the showmanship of your presence at these booths. So I thought it was really cool that you guys built that. You basically built a small cabin in your in your office and, and brought that over, but <laughs> it was cheap and it looked awesome, you know. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that somebody's always going to want to step on your success, I feel like, is a big part of uh, yeah of of entrepreneurship. And the fact that that guy trying to plug your chimney seemed to even make you get more aggressive and go blow even more smoke out. Yeah, I just love that. There's big lessons there. You know, there is the other thing is too though. Like if you think about it. We were bringing people over, and he was by that. So he should have embraced that. It's like, dude, we're bringing people over here. Yeah. We want people. Embrace it, man. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to feed off of that, right? I mean, we, we can we can lift each other, too. Yeah, it's a mindset. Totally. Wow, what a lost opportunity for him. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so on your, on your path yeah. to success, <laughs> what was the worst advice you ever got? And the best advice you ever got from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So, yeah, one thing that comes to mind on some of the worst advice that I've gotten. And um, I remember once I was at a as I was at a trade show and a food broker. Uh, those guys are they're like independent sales reps that help you sell your product. So this food broker comes over and he's like, hey, you know, um, it's he's kind of giving me some advice. He's like, yeah, I like your packaging. He's like, it's all about look, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's all about cosmetics. That's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's all, that's, that's everything. And I'm like, and I just thought about that. I'm like, you know, that's maybe a quarter of what it's all about. Right. In other words, he's saying your packaging is what, what your packaging, your, your design is everything. And I'm like, you know, that's maybe a quarter of what it's all about. The, the, the packaging needs to represent the depth behind the brand. And if, if you don't create that depth, if you don't create a, a great culture, if you don't create a great brand identity and brand positioning and real differentiation with your products, then then that great packaging is just, it's shallow, right? And it will not be sustaining. It won't sustain you long-term. And so the real, the real what, what really matters is if you have those elements and then you have some really great packaging and, and 
you know, branding that goes along with an awesome deep story. Cause then people will lock into the brand and want to become part of that tribe mm-hmm. for the long haul. And then it's authentic, you know, and people love that. Yeah. So I, I'd say that would be some of the worst. Um, I'd say some of the very best advice that I have received was um, early on from an entrepreneur that I was talking to who'd been pretty successful. And he said, Joel, you need to surround yourself with great people. And, you know, and I think we all, we do hear that. That's, that's something that we hear a lot. And so it's not like this unique, you know, bit of advice probably for a lot of people, but the, the reality is, I think it is some of the most important advice around because I think as an entrepreneur, sometimes early on entrepreneurs kind of think they have to be the one doing everything. They have to be the person with all the ideas. They have to be the creative one. And, but, you know, and early, early on, you kind of do because you're alone, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but to really start to scale, that's when you need to start bringing people on, people around you that are better than you at so many, at every, at so many different things. And what you need to become good at is finding great people. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to become good at, right? And then, and, and that's how you scale is creating great culture, which helps you attract really great people. So I think that's why Cody, I mean, really at the end of the day, that's why Kodiak Cakes is where it is today is because we have been able to hire an incredible, honestly, like an incredible team of people. And we've built what, what I would say is a really, really great culture that, you know, that's empowering, that, that, um, you know, that, that embraces people. It's like, come as it's a, come as you are, leave better culture. It's collaborative. Hmm. You know, there's a high degree of psychological safety where people feel like they can challenge, you know, they can challenge the status quo. They can, bring up their ideas and not feel like, Oh, I'm going to get trampled on if I do yet. You know, there's, there's also a high degree of accountability. So people are able, you know, we're working hard. We have a great uh, reporting and accountability structure where we're able to really compete and get things done. So I think those are, those would be two things that I, that I would say. Well, it sounds like a, a, a very critical balance to strike where there is a, a heavy work ethic at the company and heavy expectations, yeah. but also transparency and the just kind of a, a, a culture of people feeling like they can they can speak up and be themselves and, and challenge things. I think that's yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're really I mean, we, we're really making efforts. That's it's deliberate. It's obviously never perfect, you know, and I think anyone managing a culture has to, you have to, you have to realize your weaknesses, but what you do is you create a standard. So you have to, you know, one thing that we did three years ago is we wrote our culture down and, and that's, you know, now it's a standard and we hold each other accountable to it. I mean, everyone's bonus is 50% based on living the Kodiak code as we call it. It's our culture. Hmm. And so it's half of what, of your bonus is what you do, what you accomplish. The other half is how you do it. And so that, you know, that's what really, that matters so much and it creates a really fun and productive work environment for people. Wow. So last few questions, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, there's a lot of, and a lot of business books and a lot of resources out there and it's, it's easy to get lost. Were there any formidable resources for you, either books or consultants or mentors or I don't know, courses or anything, or just books that were real, that really made an impact on your career? Yeah. One of them um, that comes to mind is um, built to last by Jim Collins. And um, I love that book. He talks a lot about, um, they, they research all these companies and they want to find out like why these certain companies performed so well for so long, why they had sustainable, incredible performance for so long. And, 
And he, you know, he kept saying, it's, we can't just say it's because they had great people. We, we got to find something else. So they did, you know, they, they had a real research team going at this. And at the end of the day, they really did come back and say, look, it's because of the, the leadership styles that were in these companies. And the leadership styles really were empowering, collaborative, not top down, you know, super prescriptive leadership management styles. And so what they were able to do is they were able to get the best out of their teams. They were able to empower people to make decisions. So now they had these really strong teams. So if the leaders left, it wasn't like the thing was going to crumble. So that really, to me, was a very formidable book. And, and you know, we have really tried at Kodiak Cakes. I've tried to make my style that way. I, I have, I've tried not to be this you know, domineering, overpowering leader that makes all the decisions and has all the ideas and really tried hard to empower people around me. It's like decentralized command in a, as they say in the military. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to say it. So, I mean, I think, I think that that's definitely one that, that had a big impact on me. Cool. So what is next for you? Do you have any, as a entrepreneur who's made it any interest in being an angel investor or <laughs> doing anything <laughs> else for upcoming entrepreneurs? Well, that actually, I think would be a lot of fun. I mean, I do think um, just being able, I would love to, you know, if I could someday be in a position to advise people and, and help other people. I do think, you know, like, for example, I've got a guy on my board um, who is been a great, well, several, actually, we have investors and we have, you know, some people that have just been incredible mentors for me. Several have been just incredible mentors for me. And I do think that could be a lot of fun. I, I think one area that I think is really interesting that would be fun to help entrepreneurs in is kind of this, this um, where you start scaling your business and you need to transition from being like a, a small business owner to becoming a CEO. And I think that's something that, you know, as, as, as our business grew, that was hard. And that was a, that was a realm that I hadn't really prepared myself for well enough, I don't think. And, and that, that just, man, I, I felt so stretched and I had to scale myself right along with the business and think about how to manage a business differently. So this is a little bit of a different skill set than just being an entrepreneur and starting up a, and running a small business and having to build a leadership team and start really thinking about accountability process and um, culture and, and, you know, all that type of stuff. And so that has been, but it's been fun. I mean, that's been an incredibly fun, um, just journey for me. And so I do, I actually do feel like that would be a fun area to help entrepreneurs with. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's making that leap that a lot of people struggle with because it requires a whole transformation being a small business founder to being a CEO. And it sounds like it's largely a matter of personal growth. I totally agree with that. A hundred percent agree with that. So I, you know, people can do it. It's just like some people may not want to do it, but I think right. people, if they want to totally can, it takes a lot of study and learning and, and, um, talk mentors. It takes a lot of, you know, talking to people and training and, you know, it, it does take a lot of that. Great. Well, on that note, Joel, this is a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Any parting wisdom for aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Uh, I would just say, just stick with it. You know, I think a lot of companies, a lot of people maybe give up a little early and I think, you know, like stick it out, stick it out, you know, give it, give it, give your idea, give your business a fair shake. And that can, as long as you can stick it out, I think that would be the advice that I would say. Great. Wise words. Thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Nick. All right. Some enormous lessons in here. So let's end as always with some key takeaways from this conversation with Joel Clark. Number one, get experience selling door to door or at least 
cold calling. Joel began Kodiak Cakes by selling the recipe door-to-door as a child. This may seem like a cute story, but it instilled in him some very important skills. A number of notable entrepreneurs and business leaders have a background in door-to-door sales, including Paul Mitchell and Patron founder John Paul DeJoria, who used to sell encyclopedias door-to-door. The nature of confrontational sales tactics like selling door-to-door and making cold calls forces you to learn and master a number of skills that will tremendously serve you as an entrepreneur. It forces you to learn how to build instant rapport, have a tight and compelling elevator pitch, and embrace discomfort, given that the sales process is typically very uncomfortable. Perhaps most importantly, these sales tactics also instill a sense of resilience, as salesmen have to take a lot of rejection, just like entrepreneurs do. Number two, set incremental goals. With something as daunting as launching a national brand, it's very instinctual for most people to get completely overwhelmed by the largeness of the task and either give up or be driven into analysis paralysis. As Reverend Desmond Tutu said, The only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, meaning that even the most daunting tasks in life can be accomplished gradually by taking one step at a time. As he was building Kodiak Cakes, Joel would set six-month goals for himself, and depending on whether he hit them, he'd decide whether or not to move forward with the business. Of course, he kept hitting them, and the incremental progress launched Kodiak Cakes into a very successful business. Number three, focus on the little wins. During the many difficulties and dark nights of the soul that came with launching Kodiak Cakes, Joel would focus on the fan mail he'd received from happy customers instead of his inbox of unread emails and bills. These seemingly little things had a major impact on his level of motivation and inspired him to push forward despite the difficulties. In the scheme of things, little things like glowing customer reviews aren't little at all because they can be tremendously motivating when the going gets tough. So try to focus on the good wherever you can get it because often and your psychology needs it to push forward. Number four, create your brand organically. Kodiak as a brand very naturally conveys a rustic and adventurous image of the outdoors, hiking, and even bears, all of which was what Joel and his family grew up with. The brand pillars of Kodiak are entirely authentic because they're outgrowths of who Joel is and where he comes from. This instills a very strong sense of authenticity into the brand, which is what a lot of consumers are attracted to. Many products attempt to reverse engineer a compelling brand based on focus groups and market research, both of which are important and have their place. But there is an undeniable level of authenticity that occurs when a brand's identity is based on the genuine elements of the founder's identity and passions. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would mean the world to us if you shared it with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to follow the show on LinkedIn and uh, feel free to check out lippytaylor.com to learn more about our company. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Thanks again for listening to Damn Good Brands. 